0: Welcome to the Star Trek Retrospective by Film Strip
1: Podcast. My friends, we've come home.
0: Our host will boldly follow the voyages and crews of the Starship Enterprise.
1: It is not logical.
0: These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the Star Trek movies. Neither believe nor doubt. Now, on with our show. Make it so. Welcome to the Star Trek Retrospective by Filmstrip Podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm Nate. Today we are talking about Star Trek The Motion Picture, the first of the six films featuring the cast of Star Trek The Original Series. Of course, William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, James Doohan, George Takai, Walter Koenig, and Michelle Nichols. This also features Stephen Collins and Persis Kambada. Written by Harold Livingston and Alan Dean Foster, directed by Robert Wise, released in December of 1979. $44 million budget, no chump change, but it grossed $179 million at the box office. Which, when I look those numbers up, Nate, we can talk about it here in a, in a minute more specifically. But I had always heard this was just like this huge flop. And I was like, no, it most definitely was not. Because um, they would have never made any others if, if it had been. But uh, No, it wasn't. Yeah. Before we get into the movie, though, first off, welcome back to Film Strip Nate. Folks, go back into the archives. You can listen to our Fabulous episode on Days of Thunder, where you have some real keen insight about that movie and and all the cool stuff that is NASCAR. But um, we both danced around the idea of Star Trek for a few years now, and uh, finally decided twenty twenty four was going to be the year. We were just going to dedicate uh, you know one week a month, and then a couple weeks in the summer to catch up on one to do the thirteen. As of now, thirteen Star Trek uh, films. I don't think we'll get the new one before the end of the year, the way production stuff is going. No. Uh, yeah, it, it'll be. A while before we get another one but first off your background with all things star trek as, and people this is an audio podcast but i'm looking behind you the star trek flag behind you so i know about it but tell the folks listening at home
1: well also what you might not see is on the shelf behind me too or a wide collection of star trek micro machines as well um from every pretty much every tv series star trek to me is there's nothing that's been such a profound impact in my life as Star Trek. And we're talking from day one. The very first film my father took me to see in the theater was Star Trek, the motion picture. I was three years old. My dad likes to tell the story that he kept dozing off, but he, what would keep him awake is he'd turn, look over at me. And I'm just, my, he, did, he said I didn't blink. He said I was just mesmerized the entire movie. And the entire way back home, I just rehashed the entire movie back to him, even though that he was right there. Then that got me into watching the original series episodes on reruns. And then anytime a movie came out, even as a kid, it would go back and back and back. And it wasn't so much the action or the effects. It went well beyond that for me. It was the, the sense of unity, uh, how the human race had come together, exploration, boldly going, understanding, learning more, learning all there is to know to, peace and unity and exploration i mean those are big tenets of my personal life and a lot of my personal decisions and a lot of like okay how would this be handled in the star trek universe like how would gene roddenberry have written this script so star trek is deeply deeply ingrained into my psyche i mean very very deeply yeah and that's exactly why i brought you on because
0: i knew it was a big part you had told me some of that that story before and i'm i'm Thank you for retelling it here, too. I I do think that's something that we'll continue to come back to. And when we get into the format and how we're going to do the show, I've, I've got something a little different for film strip than what we normally do. We'll, we'll do a little more of an outline. It's actually a little more akin to like what I used to do back on the Buffy reviews and stuff. But it'll help us kind of work through these things because I do think there are connective themes. But because we're in the same age group and stuff. I, I do think there was like a, a divide uh, in the world. There were star Wars people and there were star Trek people. And I mean, half the internet was built for those arguments, I think in the initial days, but I also think what you got into, there's also like the sliver people that are like alien people and they reject the other two, which is, that's a very small number of folk, but I remember seeing this. I didn't see it in theaters, saw it on, uh, I think cable uh, coming up um, the same way I saw star Trek two. And then I saw several in the theaters in a row after that. And we'll talk about those when we get to those movies, but the first two were home viewings for me, but I will say now I didn't get it because I didn't watch the reruns of the show. I, I was vaguely aware of what it was, but My parents didn't really watch it. I didn't watch it. So it wasn't something that I just gravitated toward. I thought, eh, it's fine, you know. Uh, But much like um, 2001 A Space Odyssey and things like that, when I revisited it later in life, really as a teenager and in college, I developed a real respect and understanding for like I get why people are into this I get why it has lasted generations after generations they keep making new tv shows and I think when I was in college or right after is when they started throwing out enterprise the show and I I watched almost all of that and uh, but had never watched any of the shows anything like that again I was strictly just the movie watching guy and I watched all of these movies and the the I remember one time having conversations about like you can't really compare Star Trek and Star Wars because they're completely different points of view. It's like trying to take Metallica and compare it to Garth Brooks. There's an overlap in there, but it's it's a very small peak where those things are are together, or maybe even like George Strait or something. It's just a different world, you know, and. I uh, I think that's fine to have both. And for me, that, the reason I really wanted to do this series with you is I knew you would have the keen background and insight on it but not only that, just the, you know, the treasure trove of information, but it's something that's so important to you. And then to find something that I'm not the, the person that's championing it on this show is always a lot of fun um, because I am kind of neutral either way. I watch these movies and they just kind of blow by and I'm good, you know, and, uh, you know, I certainly have connections with other ones, you know, some over others. And we'll talk about that through the series, but um, it, it'll be fun to do and have, the, have these conversations and talk a little bit about what, where Star Trek lands and, you know, it's still around. And there's, I mean, there, the property has if nothing more has grown now. I mean, you've got animated stuff, you've got spoofy spinoff things, you've got you know plans for more movies, maybe.
1: <laughs> well, I certainly have my opinions on where the status of the Star Trek universe is now. And by and large, is not good. Um, I feel that once, and this is a little aside, but I feel like the Star Trek universe now, once Alan Kurtzman was given the reins to say, here's the entire Star Trek universe by Paramount. Let's remember the last time he was given a universe to handle. It was the, um, Universal's dark universe series that was going to have Jekyll and Hyde and the mummy and Dracula and all that. And it died after one film yeah. because it was so bad. Uh why they gave him the reins? He did work on the Star Trek reboots, which were good, but um, it took a long time. In my opinion, it wasn't until really the Discovery Season 4, which was better. Um, Star Trek Prodigy, I very much enjoy, and Picard Season 3, before they realized, oh, maybe, and Strange New Worlds, where they finally says, you know what, maybe we should just write Star Trek shows for Star Trek fans instead of trying something new. And once they did that, it got a lot better. But there's worries of mine that it might be too little, too late. But that's a separate yeah. aside. Um, but as far as the Star Wars, Star Trek, yeah, dynamic. One thing you'll find, though, you'll never see a Trekkie say you really won't. You you'll be hard pressed to find a Trekkie to say, "Oh, I hate Star Wars." And yeah. likewise, somebody from Star Wars is like, "Oh, I hate Star Trek." There's an there's still an appreciation there. Like as mm-hmm. as a hard as much of a hardcore Trekkie as I am. I appreciate Star Wars. I love Star Wars. Like I've seen all the films and all the TV shows. I watch all that. But Star Wars is a story mm-hmm. and Star Trek is a universe. Yeah. It's I a mean, great way of saying they it. They go all over the time periods, all the way to the 31st century, to as far back. You've got episodes where they go back to the prehistoric era in Star Trek. They're they're all mm-hmm. over the place. It's not just following one group of people or one family name. It, it's mm-hmm. It's much larger than that.
0: And I think it's worth mentioning too, because you you mentioned Gene Roddenberry and this is his creation initially. And he's been gone for a long time, but the people who are caretaking it for him are not selected willy-nilly necessarily to do that. And when they have been, it's gone quickly awry. So th- there's, a, there's a sense of care for that. But there is a point when this got kind of taken away from him uh, a little bit in the movie universe. And then it came back around. And we'll, we'll talk about those as we get through it. But this is definitely something that, this movie i want to say is indicative of a lot of the what i would call like the prime show like any any episodic television show has what i call like core episodes like i could do this for buffy i could tell you every season like if you just want the main meat of the story here's the ones to watch out of the 22 episodes you don't have to watch the whole thing watch these seven or eight and you got it and i i feel like star trek does that too having gone back and seen a lot of the original series now and my wife's uh, father grew up that was his thing he watched it they kind of grew up in the house watching it my wife didn't really take to it but you know he and i've had these conversations about it is there are some episodes that you can tell where they're linking pieces together and they're doing stuff and there's some where it's like we're just gonna go to a wacky planet where there's western and we'll just see what happens you know we're, we're gonna yeah. have evil goatee and you know all the, all this stuff you know all the tropes that we know of on the show, and. Um, I, and I feel like this movie lends in in its focus to those what I call like core Star Trek episodes. Like it's built around the idea of this cross section of intergalactic humanity, if you will, exploring space and protecting the home base. You know, there's there's all I mean. The the flunks of this movie, it's almost like a Bond movie. I say like there's like four or five Star Trek stories, and they just sort of retwist them every few, you know few few numbers uh, until they start doing you know different casts and stuff. And Bond is is a lot like that too. Like there's really about six James Bond stories, and they just all kind of work in the universe together and they update with time. And uh, this one is is a it's an interesting starting point because as I mentioned at the outset. I mean it was a huge financial success but it did not get a lot of critical success and it seemed to kind of miss with people and so you have the the background with it having seen it from you know early age and stuff what do you think did or didn't land about this one to start with
1: So I think there was you got to remember when this came out this was it came out in the theaters in end of 1979 Star Wars was still a craze you know the the new hope was seventy seven Empire was about to be released, and so the whole concept of what science fiction movies were had been redefined. Mm-hmm. There had been talk for so long to you know let's do something, let's bring back the star trek universe let's bring it let's make these into movies. There were a lot of i think behind the scenes there were a lot of, there were many, many ideas of what they wanted to see happen. And a lot of disagreement about what they wanted to see. Ironically enough, what ended up becoming Star Trek V was what William Shatner had an idea of for Star Trek One. He was enamored with this whole, like, why don't we go and try to find God? And he tried to do that again in Star Trek II. And it says, no, that's a terrible idea. We're going to actually do something else. Um, you had... There was this belief, like, okay, we don't want to be Star Wars. We don't want to make this battle. We -hmm. don't want to make it action packed. We do want to have some action, but we want it. We do want to go back to the core tenets of Star Trek, but we don't want it to be campy like the original series. We really want to recreate it. Have the still like the 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 ethos of Star Trek, but we want new uniforms. We want a new ship. Also, we want it. we want it really long and be a bit psychedelic they were heavily influenced by 2001 space mm-hmm. odyssey they were like let's make it more towards that than star wars but one of the reasons why it wasn't a, wasn't a critical success the length of the film yeah they and the reason why it's so so long is because they were in such a rush to make it to get it out to the deadline that they're like, all right, we don't have any more time to edit. Let's just, let's go. We got to get it in before the end of the year. We got to get it in before the Christmas seasons. That's a big movie watching. We got to get it. And we cannot get it out later. Nobody's going to go see it in the spring. And so they rushed and rushed and rushed to get it done. And so they, there was so much editing, especially when they're traveling through the cloud that could have easily, I mean, they could have easily shaved off so much of the movie, uh, just without cutting back on these long drawn out scenes. Uh, I think the set designs were also a big, you know, there was a lot of criticism of the set designs. It was very 70s. Um, the uniforms were hideous. Yeah, all the, all mean, the you different go from colors
0: these, and stuff. Oh, yeah. you go from these
1: classic, <laughs> just all time, you know, just the, the timeless uniforms to these bland, hideous like... one pieces with these yeah. large button buckles in the center that aren't really holding anything William Shatner himself said they were so uncomfortable walking around in those they sweated all the time
0: yeah you look like you're in like a track suit at a sauna in yeah. this movie
1: and also another reason it got bad critical reception is again you still had Star Wars you had these epic battles and this amazing story well there was not really any battle in this there was it was a long draw. there was if you think of how many times Lasers and, and uh, mm-hmm. weapons were fired in Star Wars. Guess how many times you see the Enterprise fire a weapon in the motion picture? Once. Yeah. One time. That's all you see it.
0: And, it, and it's like a, it's much more of a, I, I always akin this movie and a lot of Star Trek to being much more like heady concepts. Mm -hmm. And where it's it and it's much more military in that way, as someone who grew up on submarine films and things like that, and that'll really come up, particularly in in future iterations here. One thing I appreciated about those wasn't the, you know, the big action pieces, it was how like much math was involved and much. You had to plan out. You had to think about it. I mean, we, we'll talk about it here. But, you know, when they fire the weapon here, it's because they're, they're caught in a wormhole and they have to yeah. shoot an asteroid out of the way. It's not because they're attacking anything, which is, yeah. like you say, a complete different turn from Star Wars where it's all about a battle. But, but again, I mean, it's been said before, but it's worth mentioning. Star Wars is a fantasy. You know, in a lot of ways. And while Star Trek is fantastic, it's much more of science fiction. And it's what, you know, good science fiction is rooted in. And that's that's really where I come to from this, Nate, is I am a sucker for good science fiction. And science oh, fiction that same. makes me think, makes me go through. And sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. But I, I love stuff. Like Philip K. Dick, I mean, I grew up on all of that, oh and, absolutely yeah, and still still revisit those to the day and and think only a handful of times have they ever cinematically captured what what he was all about, and it's It's wild to read his stuff and realize when it was written and how much he got right. And also oh, got wrong about the future. But he was right the about internet, why. tablets. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. like, well, wait, when was this? Really well, well, you know, wow. electronic currency and the yeah. fact that we don't have we don't really have room for money anymore. You know, all these things. unbelievable. He's
1: so forward thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah, and to to your point too, the original series was in the mid '60s. This is '66 mm-hmm. to '69. We're gonna break this thing out ten years later, and. They're trying to get it out before the end of the year. They're trying to beat the rush for Star Wars. And we got to mention, you know, we live in a world now where, man, you just hit a button in an app and all these movies are there and everything all the time. You know, we have that, but the, you know, movies stayed in theaters for years. If they were big hits, they would just bring them back and bring them back. But you didn't have home market at all. At this point, it, it took right. a while before. That. I mean, that was like mid eighties. So yeah. you, you either caught it in the theater or a second run theater or something, or you caught this on cable at home. And uh, so if you want to get a movie out, that's a big budget movie like this, you're, you're going to get it out of the high movie time, which is why they pushed it. And you're exactly right. I mean, you, I, when we get into the plot of it, I think it's obvious where they had to start cutting and whittling down because Mm. the one thing this movie does, which is it's bold. It's a bold choice, uh, pun intended, to spend so much time on the setup. You know, usually you want to get through act one in about 25 minutes in in a a two hour movie because you want to spend all your time in the middle. Yeah, they're gonna spend a lot of time
1: <laughs> getting
0: this. A lot put together. Of time. We didn't even a get a the band back together
1: till get until to the cloud. Yeah,
0: yeah. We didn't get the whole band back together till it's over an hour into the movie. You know, mm-hmm. which is
1: it's a choice. So as as we get into it for sure. Well, another thing I do want to mention is like some of the behind the scenes stuff is you know they wanted a new Enterprise, they wanted a new bridge, they wanted a new ship, and some of the initial concept art for what the Enterprise looked like was wasn't gonna work. It was hideous. If you looked at. When they first put out the promo teaser for Star Trek Discovery before the first season premiered, it was just the ship leaving space dock. Or not space like it was a a ship going out into space. That got a lot of pushback. because like, wow, that that ship looks terrible. That was actually the original concept art for the original Enterprise, where you're not going to have the nacelle sitting up, but to the side on the lower deck. It's basically a triangle attached to a circle. Much like the Vulcan flag. And it was very bland, very boring. Uh, Thankfully, a lot of that was, you know, crushed. But the bridge, that set the tone not just for the movie, but for future films and for, you know, okay, this is the setup we're going to have for this era of Starship. And so that was, I mean, the set design was, when it came to that, was pretty fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, what they had in the '60s show was a, a ripoff of what little they knew about naval, you know, insides in and sonar equipment and. Old, it was really lights on a wall. It was what we knew of computers at the time. I mean, it, that yeah. even permeates into like Ridley Scott's alien, you know, which is just a bunch of lights, you know, because that's all they could think of right. what a computer was, was, was a room. You know, back now yeah, now exactly. we carry them in our pocket. They're five inches, you know, <laughs> but we didn't see that back then. Philip K. Dick did, though, by the way. But, <laughs> but Star Trek didn't know that. So I, I do think it's neat to note. Yeah, it it is an evolution of the bridge as it goes. And we'll, we'll talk about it through the movies, but I think it's time to get into this movie proper and look in the spirit of transparency but also in the spirit of these movies i decided to use ai to write the plot summaries for these because i thought that would that would be a very much star trek thing to do now which oh, one did i use so. i used google's it's called bard and i, I, I really happen to like it I, I like google's it writes more like the way people actually talk <laughs> so um, not saying to use that on your term papers children write your own stuff but if you need an idea starter it can help that's what ai is good for but i i, I want to be transparent about that. Let the audience know that, but it only felt fitting considering the subject matter for these 13 movies that I'm going to use AI. So here we go in the year 2273, a menacing colossal cloud of energy hurtles toward earth, leaving a trail of destruction in its wake. Three Klingon cruisers and a Starfleet outpost Epsilon nine are obliterated before anyone can blink. This cosmic anomaly, later called V'ger, sparks panic across the Federation. Inter Admiral James T. Kirk, now relegated to a desk job after his heroic days aboard the Starship Enterprise. With time running out, Starfleet deems the newly refitted Enterprise under the command of Captain William Decker to be the only hope to intercept V'ger and find out what's going on with it. However, Kirk, yearning for adventure and tired of his desk job and convinced his experience is crucial, defies orders and reclaims his old post as captain. As the Enterprise pursues V'ger, Kirk assembles his iconic crew, including Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Uhura. They face internal conflict as Decker grapples with Kirk's authority and struggles to understand what V'ger's purpose is. Meanwhile, V'ger launches a probe that kidnaps Navigator uh, Aaliyah and leaving behind an android replicant um, with her memories. So Kirk and his crew drive into V'ger's origins discovered that it's actually a Voyager probe launched by NASA centuries ago and enhanced by alien technology. V'ger now seeks to merge with its creator, interpreting that its directive is to seek out and find God, its person, wherever it came from, but to bring its knowledge back because it was sent as a probe to do that. The existential quest poses a dire threat, though, because V'ger's merging process could consume all of life on Earth. And in a climax of desperate measures and philosophical reflection, Kirk and Decker collaborate to communicate with V'ger. Using Aliyah's memories... An understanding of human emotions, they convey that a concept of creation is beyond a literal being. So V'ger, moved by this revelation, abandons its destructive path and departs in the new journey of exploration, leaving Earth unharmed, but taking Decker and Ilea with it as credits roll. And we're left with the the enterprise reinstated, as it were. But just uh, this first start here, I, I broke up the plot um, uh, you know, using the AI, but I wanted us to talk through this thing in really kind of three chunks. And what I call them first contact into the mission and then final frontiers. It's a a neat way to sort of structure these things. And so starting off, we've done a good bit about impressions and things already, but just the look of this and the overall tone and pacing, what are your first impressions of Star Trek, the motion picture?
1: It's first impressions. I was three years old. Uh, So my first impressions at three years old was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, Then again, my had a small sample size to compare it to. But it's it's funny how you go back and as all the movies come out and people start ranking. So let's let's fast forward to where I'm in college. I'm a little more aware of like so all the films are out and next gen's out. And then everybody's always ranking them where all the Star Trek fans are ranking them. And one is always next to last or if it's not, it's like two from the bottom or next to last. And but the over time, as time's gone on and other films, people go back. to even, like, you know. Going back and watching that, it's actually not that bad. Yeah, it's long in some places and the uniforms are bad, but it, it is Star Trek. Like, that is, they're telling it, this is a Star Trek movie. This is capturing, this would, what better way to start the movies? I mean, they knew this wasn't going to be the only one. Um, There's a whole Star Trek universe to build on. So, my first impressions were like, oh, it was fantastic. Uh, and it's one of those that I feel of the movies has aged. Maybe the best, to be honest with you, I think it's aged very, very well compared to a lot of the other films. Yet yeah, the pacing certainly could be better, but the tone, the characters were great. Like what I, what really stood out to me were not the the main characters, but Decker and Ilya. Yeah, I mean they were amazing, and it was you know kind of sad that neither one were going to make it to any more films after that, and you know, Persis Kambala died soon afterwards, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, but and, I mean, and those Stephen two...
0: Collins became a monster that we should
1: yes <laughs> not yes, talk about ever. But we're just going to talk about
0: what we knew of him in 1979. Right, so. right,
1: right. But yeah, it's it's um I very much like those two characters. I think they fit, which is interesting yeah. because you introduce new characters in other Star Trek films and it doesn't quite fit. But these two did, yeah. and especially if you know Decker's background as a, as a Trekkie, like where why he was the one that Kirk kind of handpicked to be the new captain of the Enterprise.
0: So what is that for someone like me who doesn't know that? Because I, I didn't know that there was a, a real secession into that.
1: So in the original series episodes, there's a, a giant you know, planet-devouring ship. And it took out and heavily damaged this one Federation vessel. I think it was the USS Constellation. And the only survivor was the captain. And his cap, it was Captain Decker, which would end up being Decker's father. And so... They're trying to stop this, uh, the Doomsday Machine. That was the episode, Doomsday Machine. And so they're trying to stop this from destroying more planets and other ships. And Decker goes a little crazy and he takes command of the Enterprise while Kirk is on a, a shuttlecraft trying to stop it. And he ends up, Kirk comes back, but the captain ends up dying. And Kirk feels as he owes his, you know, was trying to save him and he ended up losing it and dying. So when Decker's son, Graduates from the academy, works his way through, and Kirk is promoted to admiral. He feels like, you know what, I owe it to your old man, you know, to see you through, and you should take over the enterprise. <laughs> uh, so that that's where that came from.
0: This is amazing because I didn't realize how dead on I was when I said this is like James Bond, where uh, the plot gets recycled a lot. Like we're going to see all of that again, multiple times, sometime in the same movie, sometime not. But that's that's fantastic. I'll agree with you about one thing. It's a bold choice when you know you're bringing back your known cast and stuff like that to not spend time with most of them and not together until really the end of it you're really just focusing on Kirk and kind of his ego, which is a driving force of who James Kirk is. And these two other people that we don't know, you know, I mean, even if you knew the name and the connection, you don't know who these people are and they both pull off incredible performances. I mean, I, I like say, Persis Kambada is just, you want, you can't take your eyes off over of the uniforms aside and they're horrible. So we'll just leave that. The rest of the visual of this is, you talk about holding up and looking great. It is very much the very clean future, and it's one of the things Ridley Scott said he wanted to go against when he made Alien was that it needed to be the used future versus the you know the the very clean, very stark, you know everything's just bright, you know uh, stuff. It looks amazing, and I don't remember the last time I, that well they don't do it anymore. But you could make a movie, and the first three minutes of it is just music. It's just an overture you know before yeah, before we, before we go in and then we do title credits and all the things and you get the theme that you know which i think this theme is the one that gets used in the next generation next gen and, yeah yeah so mm-hmm. it's and it's it's part of the intro music for the podcast that we use here but i it, the look of all of this is fantastic and again you've got these two characters who have to really carry the first half of this movie you know yeah. against Against everything else, because one of them is more or less going to be abducted and come back as a replicant. And um, you can tell I'm influenced by Philip K. Dix. That's what I call (laughs) them instead of androids. But, um, you know, she's going to come back as that. And then you've got Decker constantly at um, a tug of war with Kirk, you know, yeah. Overall, and, and and that's what surprised me about this most is I had forgotten that the inciting... Well, I, I remember the inciting incident was this Voyager thing. V'ger was coming back and it was swallowing stuff up, which I thought was like, okay, that's kind of a, uh, a Star Trek trope. There's always something coming to swallow something up with energy. And the fact that the, that's the reason that it just ignites that firing Kirk again like I got to get back out there I got to get back out there and it's like you know we, we talked about on Days of Thunder these guys that can never let it go you know right oh, yeah. and, we, and we see you know athletes of all kinds you know people that are passionate about anything when they walk away they can never let it go right the one the great ones right they just oh, it, they're eating sure. up I mean it.
1: you and you see this time and again in future films in Star mm-hmm. Trek 3 he's like I'm going to take the Enterprise and go back to Genesis and then even in in Generations where he's talking to Picard he's like you ever plan on retiring? And he's like, no. It's like, well, don't. Don't do anything that'll take you out of that captain's chair. You'll immediately yeah. regret it. Like, he's constantly, even mm-hmm. in Star Trek 2, where he's, where I think Bone says at his birthday, he's like, get your command back. Get it before you become part of this collection. And yeah. so, yeah. yeah. Uh, he never, he can't resist. He has to, and in gen, at the beginning of generation, same thing. It's He's like, oh, looking at the chair, I was like, hmm, I kind of wish that was my chair again.
0: I, I think one of the strengths of this, story in particular is and it's one of the strengths of the star trek universe is how much the politics of the federation and the the world you know the the world that it's building not just the earth but the world of star trek play a role in this without becoming heavy-handed or uh, too much like they play good melodrama in it you know and I've, i've always felt like there's a generation of people who only know politics from the mind of Aaron Sorkin now, because he's just kind of built the walk and talk into everybody's life, but he got that from other people. like that He right, just, right. And, and that's very much this movie, like the whole thing with Kirk and the two envoys he's talking to. And he's like, Nope, I'm going to go do it. And I know what the you know, vice admiral said, but I'm doing this, you know, or whatever, and he's just going to do his own thing. And uh, I mean, that, I, I, you expect no less from Kirk if you know anything about the character. But even if you don't, if you're brand new, you watch this movie and you just watch this, you see it in Shatner's face and the way he plays it. And I know he's a ham and and is, is rightfully to be made fun of and will make fun of himself even into his 90s now. Bless him. But he he's so earnest with all of it that you can tell like he truly believes that yes there's only one ship that can ever do this which it just always happens to be the enterprise is there um which i have a theory about we'll talk about in a few <laughs> movies but i i he also believes he's the only one that could actually make it work because as good as decker is he doesn't have the experience that kirk has
1: yeah and poor decker i mean when we're talking about the kirk versus decker dynamic i mean what does decker got to do like he's <laughs> not going to know he's not going to be He'll never become like Kirk, and he'll never get the chance because any like, "Oh, we got a threat. I'm going to take mm-hmm. command." Well, that happens. I mean, as we see many times in the series in the movies, like there's always going to be these threats out there, and you got that. I mean, you've got the flagship of the fleet, mm-hmm. and Decker's. I feel Decker got kind of a raw deal. And it's funny when you when I watched it when I was younger, I didn't like Decker. Couldn't stand him. Yeah, and again, it was my own personal bias. I was like. It's Kurt. It's Captain Kurt. He's always got to be the captain. But as you get older and you watch, we watch the movie, you're like, God, Decker kind of got a got a hand on this. Like, you got a raw deal. I mean, he's basically Kurt's like, I'm setting you up. You're going to be my guy. I'm going to be the admiral. You'll have anything you want. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to take that chair back real quick. And um, yeah. also, you're going to be my XO, and which makes it awkward for everybody else mm-hmm. on the entire ship who have been reporting to Decker as captain and keeping De- Decker on as XO. And you've got this power dynamic where Kirk is like, no, I'm sorry. Last time I checked, I'm captain Kirk and Decker's like, look, I'm captain Decker. I know this ship. Mm-hmm. I know the refit. I mean, when they're going against the asteroid, Kirk gave the order to fire phaser to destroy the a- asteroid, but Decker knew we can't do that. You'll destroy the ship because of the way the Polarons are working in the phasers that it would actually damage the ship. They had to fire a torpedo and Kirk was furious. Why was my order countermanded? And then he explained why it's like, Oh, you save yeah. the ship. And of course, Decker's like, yeah, I'm aware.
0: Yeah. And, and it's like, and, "And you know, like, I, I'm sorry, I embarrassed you. Like, so that backhanded, like, mm, yeah, I was actually and, right. If you just listen to me, right. I want to get into their dynamic in a bit. But the, the yeah. thing that I love about this movie is mm. that it's central thesis is about exploration purpose and like humanity's place in the universe. And yes, a previous version of earth you know the one we live in, uh, a future one. I guess maybe even the one we're in now is about when Voyager six was you know supposed to have happened. Is we sent this thing out to just gather info and send it back to us, and the idea, and this is very Philip K. Dick, that it got it basically landed on the Transformers planet, you know, <laughs> and it was like, yeah. oh, this is how quaint. <laughs> and they married it with a bunch of AI, and you know, really souped it up, and it became so self-aware. That it's like, oh, I just need to go gather more things. And it became the idea of, well, the best way to gather things is to swallow it, you know, more yeah. or less. And I, I just found that to be such a a neat premise. And again, it's such a different tack than the Star Wars premise, which is it's a galactic war. You know, right. there's, no
1: exploration. there's yeah, no exploration. Yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. No,
0: the, the worlds have already been explored. They're right. settled. We're done. Now they're trying to be, you know, either held under or banded together or there's rebellion. There's all these things, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not what Star Trek's interested in. And it will tell you that there's still enemies in the world. You know, we have the Klingons and we see them a little bit and I know they're the big bad of, of all things Star Trek. And you have this, the idea of the neutral zone and that'll become a much bigger, you know, storyline as we get into these movies and things. But I love how all that plays through and it bridges that gap from the original series stuff into this movie. And I just happen, I just have to think that The audience, when it went to this, and obviously it it found an audience and did well, but the initial maybe negative reaction to it, and maybe over the years, like you said, the ranking stuff for a long time, it it kept getting shuffled to the bottom was because it wasn't about all of those other like fanciful things. And it was much more about a conversation. And that's the thing that's always cool about Star Trek is for all the jokes about the hammy dialogue and stuff like that, or the delivery of the dialogue is it's it's key important that you pay attention to what they're saying to each other and the way yeah. that they play with each other. And it's it's a good study in human dynamics and communication dynamics. And when I was in college, we took an episode of the original series and had to break it down in one of my communications classes into like all these dynamic areas, like chart it out and stuff. And I I really developed a new appreciation for it having done that. And it's full on display here.
1: It does, like I said, it does capture what Trek Star Trek is supposed to be about. It Mm. really does. And it also, like you said, yes, there's still enemies out there. They're also saying there's a lot of aliens you don't even know of yet. I mean, when they introduced Ilya, I mean, she's a Delton, uh, a highly, highly sexual race that in order for her to serve any Delton to serve, they have to take an oath of celibacy. Yeah. Um, I thought that was interesting. And there's always, even when you're looking at the, when the crew's together watching what's playing out on the epsilon station you see aliens you never saw in the original series and some that you did mm-hmm. and it's i think it kind of ties into like we're all this one big family the federation's one big family and we respect everybody's differences we respect everybody's and that and that carries on through the films and the tv series and the and the motion picture i think also captured that
0: yeah a hundred percent and i i will say it's a, it's a it's a funny piece of sexual politics that's going on here as they make this highly sexualized race of people take a, a vow of celibacy and they dress her in the sexiest frigging outfit they can find. <laughs> and I, yeah. I just, in my head, my kind of that was like, that was Ilea going like, well, fine. I won't screw everybody. Like I'm supposed to, but yeah. I'm not going to wear that awful garbage that everybody else has. I on. mean,
1: you see, I love the scene where she walks on the bridge. Yeah. And of course, like, you, you see Chekhov with this big grin, and you see Sulu yeah. like snap his head around, and as soon as she walks in, and yeah, oh, I think it's... I think everybody whoever was looking at her. Everybody,
0: so, oh yeah, you, the way she's like Decker
1: did, you know, and her's like oh, and she's Delton, like yeah, I was, yeah.
0: But I, I think it's neat too that that Decker has a history with her because he served on her planet when she was younger, so he knows her. He's known her yeah. for a while, and you could tell there was like that. Oh, like he was probably like a you know, ensign or first lieutenant or something and he was dashing and they had like a little fling or something, maybe, you know, there's something there. And but they yeah, for sure. they, they do that without telling us all of it. You know, and I feel and like sometimes today, you don't need it. Yeah. The way yeah. they do
1: it, they, they do it in a way that you don't need the full story. You yeah. get just enough to understand there is something there. Yeah. I like yeah that. and I,
0: and I'm saying that in a movie that is taking its time and is yeah. dinged for being a little slow that they don't stretch out. But what they spend their time on is how all of this stuff works. Like when they're going out of space dock, that's not a hit the gas, you know, and go left. You know, it's uh, there, there's something else to that. It takes a lot of people working that out. The the engineering parts, even though it's completely made up, you know, they're they're going like, we can't do that. We're going to create a wormhole if we, you know, power up the the warp core because it's not ready for this. And I, I love that idea that like there's consequences for Kirk's, ambitious sort of headstrong way of doing things. And Decker being the, by the book guy, who's clearly that's working out for him. It brings an interesting dynamic to it. And I thought of two movies uh, going back to my submarine days, run silent, run deep, Clark Gable and Burt Lancaster. I mm-hmm. have a very contentious, but respectful relationship aboard their boat together because mm-hmm. Gable's character is obsessed with chasing this Japanese destroyer that wrecked the the ship his wife was on. So it's kind of a personal vendetta while Lancaster is trying to protect the 20 men on that boat, be a good commander. And, you know, that and he really should be the captain at that point. He's been held back. And they do that in, um, U five, seven, one with Bill Paxton and, and Matthew McConaughey's characters. Cause McConaughey's supposed to get his own boat and he gets pulled back because the captain doesn't think he's ready yet. And that that's I was watching, you know, Kirk and Decker go at each other. And I'm like, it's very much like those two movies. You've got yeah, this. You can
1: keep- you could also yeah. throw in Crimson Tide on that. Oh, well. hundred
0: yeah, percent. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a, a much more political too. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, but no, you know, yeah. All of those, I think borrow from this same idea. And uh, it's, it's the central part of this, even though we are going to get the band back together. Eventually the Kirk and Decker relationship is key. And it's neat. Like in that scene, we've talked about where Decker is, is, you know, and it's, it's wild to think about like they're in that kind of slow motion state or whatever. And he's like, no, we've got to fire the torpedo, not the phaser. And, he gets to drop knowledge on Kirk afterward and Kirk reacts badly to it at first. And then he kind of cools down and there's almost this look on Shatner's face of like, dang, this kid's good. And he's like proud of him. You know, it's like, you know what? I haven't had somebody stand up to me and be right. Maybe ever. So that, I mean, that's a neat thing to do, but to show vulnerability in your lead character is it's admirable trait and it's really well done here.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting how I think with Kirk the way he was able to get away with that brashness and taking chances is he was on the enterprise for so long. He Mm -hmm. was familiar. He knew that ship inside and out. He knew this crew. He knew every inner workings. He knew what was, what it was capable of and how far to push the limits. When now he's back on a ship, it might be called the enterprise, but it Mm -hmm. is refitted so much that you have the torpedo and the asteroid incident where he's, he can't take those chances like he used to, because he doesn't know the capabilities of the ship. He doesn't understand some of these newer crew members, And likewise, Decker is still learning. He's still not a risk taker. Uh, Whenever they finally approach V'ger and they get the go, ahead like Viger decides not to attack anymore. And Kirk looks to Spock and Decker's like, all right, suggestions, what should we do next? And Spock says, let's proceed, let's go on in. And Decker's like, no, I advise caution. We need to be very, very careful and very cautious. And you can see Decker is still a long way to go. Like he's still got a lot to learn from Kirk, but Kirk also needs to learn from Decker. So I, I think I think that's where that I think that's an interesting dynamic.
0: I no, mean, yeah, completely because it gives them places to grow from where they're not just always at odds.
1: You know, it's not mm-hmm. always just
0: about this command. Like th- at that moment, they get over it. You know, and they yeah. kind of go about their job and they're doing things. And then, you know, when when Kirk starts bringing back his people, you know, and particularly when Spock comes back, you know, on his really on his own volition because you know, uh, they don't think they can get him back. Uh, Decker's having to play two roles. He's having to be XO and he's having to be science officer because that was his mm. role coming up. And he's, when you see Spock walk in, I mean, everyone has respect for him. He's like, oh, oh I yeah. will gladly give my seat back up to you. Yeah. you know, he did, and that was what was neat because, you know, they do the bits on on Vulcan and, I, you know, I'm watching that going like, I don't really, maybe don't get what's going on here, but I realize it's important. But you see what's going to become a, a recurring theme is that Spock... Is he feels a loyalty to Jim Kirk that cannot be explained. And it's, right. it's so neat. And that's the thing he comes back for, even though yeah. he's he's so intellectual and he's so logical, he's really driven by that emotional piece, which is neat.
1: It is. Now I will say one part of a film that I thought was under and kind of weak Feed the V'ger spot mm-hmm. connection. Yeah. How, why? Like V'ger I think that's that's the probe. we ran out
0: of money and got to finish the movie.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it, was an Earth probe mm-hmm. contacting Spock across the cosmos. Like Spock had no idea what I mean. There should have been no connection, and you know, even when they're inside, when Spock goes inside the ship and the room where Vichar is supposed to be isn't, it's just like this one big program he's looking at of all the places Veger's visited, and he's trying to mind meld with Vichar. I just I don't. That was something I that to me was probably the weakest part of the movie. Cause I'm sitting there trying to understand it's like, well, why, why contact Spock? Like, I don't understand why, like, there's no reason ever. Like why specifically Spock? I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I have no idea.
0: I, I don't know either other than, and it's played off in like a dropped line that that's the smartest person Kurt knows is Spock oh, and he's going to know something about it, but I'm with you. It's a weak point. It's, it's part of the story that they didn't, either didn't have time to or didn't take time to flesh out and i wish they would because it it, spock comes in and just drops all this exposition all of a sudden and you just accept it because he's you know been you know built up as this really smart person or whatever but it's also like where did you get that like how did that happen where did that come from? why did spock have to be a mary sue nate that's what i'm asking (laughs) i
1: don't know know. he was very emotional in this film Uh, Mm -hmm. for somebody who is just about oh he was getting ready to get his uh finishes colon R training mm-hmm. uh he was awfully emotional through some laughing crying and yeah yeah, yeah. he got a bit emotional so there's colon a lot R. Of,
0: yeah there's a lot of things in this movie that when you bring back the the old cast or whatever i i feel like they they're trying to hit the high points with them but the one they're gonna spend a lot of time on is spock but like mccoy comes in and he's just you know He's just old bones, you know. He's, he's oh he's, yeah. He, he's too old for this garbage. He's, he's tired. He looks like he looks like he came out of Woodstock, man. looks It's hilarious. <laughs> like, the he oh, in, yeah. He's got chains on the old bit. I'm like, well, nope. this is definitely made in a different time.
1: Oh yeah, but but Bones does. He is that voice that Kirk needs to hear. Yeah. Like whenever ever. He's like, I'm scared out of my wits. Thank you very much. And um you know, basically telling Kirk, it's like, hey, you need, you guys need to cut this out. It's the whole Decker and Kirk dynamic. Yeah, it's Bones is that voice that. Kirk needs to hear because Spock is Spock is dealing with his own what's going on with it between he and Viger, and even though there's that loyalty and he trusts Spock implicitly, sometimes when he's, he's struggling, this is one of the movies where Bones is that voice is like, "Hey, you gotta, well, it's what you really need to do here."
0: Bones is his counselor,
1: you know? Oh yeah. And, and, oh, among
0: absolutely. everything else, among being chief physician, and all those things, he's really the counselor to the captain. You know, and and I think they they even invent that role to be something much more substantial than just, you know, another doctor or whatever later on in the in the series and it's smart to have. You have to have someone that is just there to be hand raised guy in the room, you know, sometimes yeah. and go like, but what if, or maybe not, or mm, maybe you're, you know, feeling that a little harsher than you should, you know, and, or to be the emotional one to go like, Hey, we need to feel something. Damn it. You know, like we're all about to die. Like what's going on, you know, and to be that voice of the audience and of the rest of the crew, it makes a difference. And then I, I, I do feel like, The rest of the remaining crew. I want to get your opinion on this. They kind of get the short shrift. Like they don't get a lot. Like you you get almost nothing to check off. Sulu gets a little, Uhura a little. He gets some of Scotty because he's funny, but they don't do a lot with them. They're
1: they're there. Sulu's there to be the helmsman. Yeah. Uhura's there to be communications. Chekov's there to work in weapons, and uh, Scotty's there to work the engineer. I mean, that's they really don't get into anything with them, Mm -hmm. and they put the focus on Spock. Perk, McCoy, Decker, and Ilya, which I think fits because let's face it, Perk and Spock and McCoy were the main characters of the original series, and so like, all right, we yeah. got to make this film. We know that these are the main people. The movie's long enough; we really can't explore what's going on with everybody else. We need let's just make this adventure. Let's make this happen with them, and let's put the focus on these three core characters and these two new ones that give us some some wiggle room to increase the story, some unknowns.
0: The, the neat part of it is that you realize that there are four of them that are just doing their jobs
1: still. That's literally what they're doing. That's they they they're they're doing. are yeah. just
0: continuing their career, doing their jobs. And mm-hmm. then the other three have been split apart. The band's been broken up. kirk has right. been put in a desk. Spock's gone to Vulcan for Colinar. Um, and then uh, McCoy has retired. Yeah. And he gets redrafted through some loophole, you know, which I love that whole secret
1: reserve activation clause. A seldom, <laughs> yeah, yeah, reserve act-
0: it's basically, I need you here and I need that guy here, so make it happen. Is what I Kirk love does. that
1: scene. I yes. love that scene where he says, In other words, they drafted me, and Kirk's like, They didn't. He's like, This was your idea. This was <laughs> your idea, wasn't it? Yeah, it. I,
0: l- I, I love, love that though. That, that the it's it is like the backing band it's Mm -hmm. okay the uh, this has happened in one of my favorite bands chicago the horns guys and the keyboard players are all the same dudes but the people you know the voices of that band have changed and changed and changed through the years and it would be like trying to get them back in while everybody else is just keeping it down in the back you know and and that's very much the way this works and while i do wish we could have gotten more of them i'd I do, I do think the movie's right to say, no, we, we've we got to have our core three guys and these two new people that we're putting a lot of effort into and this V'ger situation, right? Yeah, and I, that really brings me to the thoughts of what V'ger does to Ilia and how that works because I, I, I don't know why. Really when I saw this as a kid, that scared me. I thought that was frightening because I equated that when I saw this to the same thing that happens to the woman at the end of Superman three, where she gets sucked in the big supercomputer and comes out with silver eyes and all that. I thought it was the same thing, mate.
1: Yeah, no, I that as a kid, that did kind of scare me a little bit. The whole orange glowing thing on her neck and when she bursts through the wall, that kind of scared me a little bit. It's like, oh wow, this is somebody who could really do some damage. Um But I love that. I love that it's it foresh- you know, it's kind of a foreshadowing of the Borg. I mean, it was assimilation mm-hmm. and a lot of fans like to think that the planet that Vjer was sucked into, the Machine Planet, a lot of fans like to think that that was the Borg homeworld. Yeah, and they saw one of their kindreds. Um, so, but Leah being, you know, turned into this, and there's still, but just like the Borg, there's still like this fraction of her former self that's there. Like when she sees Decker, she sees, she says Decker and not Decker Unit. And yeah. uh, they point that out. was like, oh, not Decker. You know, there's something there. And they try, like, they're really like, you got to be the one to take her around. And there's a nail. even allows her to be. Ilea to communicate better, but only with Decker. And it's like, you know, what, what does a creator look like? And, you know, he doesn't know, like Vija has no idea. And so it's, yeah, the, I, I, I did like that. I, the, I think the scene that scared me the most though, was when she, Ilea was captured by Beedra. Uh That big, bolt of energy on the bridge and then when she and it's of course spock trying to you save her it's yeah
0: yeah and it's it adds real tension and stakes. Because again, up until this point, this movie has moved very methodically. I don't want to say Mm -hmm. slow, I'll say methodically. And now it is, it is going to go into warp drive a little bit. One, because they had to finish the thing two because the story needed to get there. And I, I attribute a lot of that from what I was able to find out to Alan Dean Foster was the one that's like, and now here's, we actually get to it. Y'all we've got to raise the stakes. And the idea that there is this being that doesn't know its own power or strength, or doesn't, interpret what it's doing as destructive when it's assimilating information and assimilating ships and people and worlds and all this stuff is that that's just how it gathers it's how it eats it doesn't Mm -hmm. know that it's doing anything wrong and i mean it's like it's very much like a shark you know that's just that's just what a shark does you know it's just not trying to attack it's just eating you know and so
1: yeah you know what's interesting is that the the past season of star trek discovery was very much like a telling of like a a reimagining of Star Trek and the Motion Picture the the main thing was this entity that kept popping up and destroying planets and they didn't realize they were like doing that and that discovery had to go into the void where they discovered where this thing was coming from they had to go into the void and have a conversation with the aliens like hey you're actually killing us you need to stop this um and, and that was i thought that's why i was thinking you know discovery last season was pretty good but motion picture it got its influence from the motion picture and that's i i think that is very good. And then having Ailia mm-hmm. come back and be that communications. And I've particularly liked when the probes like you Vija sent the probes out, they're hovering over Earth because the creator did not answer. And Spock says, We need to treat it as a child. And then the look on Ailia's face, like whenever Kurt refuses to give her the information, it's like Vija requires the information. It's like, no. And then her eyes get like really wide and it doesn't mm-hmm. understand and it throws the tantrum and yeah, yeah, it was it was very very good. I, I think having Ailea be that that surrogate, if you will, for V'ger was absolutely brilliant.
0: That was a great idea, rather than just talking into a cloud of energy right,
1: or something right, like
0: yeah. that. Or yeah, and I'll tell you, like the book version of of this story is way better than the movie that they made of it. But Michael Crichton explored this in Sphere. Uh, this mm. idea of this, you know, would you like me to manifest that again for you? No, please. No, that when you manifest things, it hurts. <laughs> so, yeah. you know and. And I, lo- but I always remember that, and, and like I say in the book, it's much more icy uh, than the movie because Dustin Hoffman is, I don't know, he's doing a thing that wasn't required for that film. But, but that story though, it's it's a, something that in science fiction gets revisited over and over. It's the mm-hmm. the idea of the artificial intelligence becoming self aware enough to go on its own way and not realizing what it's doing. And right. being very much like a child and having to learn the way that we learn as children, when you get mad. And then and when you're you know older, hopefully you, you breathe for a second and you figure it out, even though we still you know do that as adults. Um, but I, I think it's neat though. And, and that, that Spock's idea of like, we have to talk to this thing like it's a kid you know, and just yeah. treat it that way. And working through that was, I don't know. I thought it was neat. And when they get to the ultimate, reveal of it where again they've done the big exposition dump they're all standing around and they realize you know what this thing really wants is to meet the people that made it well we have to convince it that we're we are that that you've done it so now you can go and continue your mission less destructively and i I wanted to get your take on what did you think of decker's self-sacrifice
1: that was great i loved it because that is where ilea you know she was she and Vijay were one. And so she was sitting there like only Decker could have done that. So that's why when Decker was rewiring the entering in the final uh the entering in the final sequence to prove we're the creator, and then there's like the feelings from Aelia, And when Kirk tried to go over there and stop and she just shoved him back. And so it's like, Yes, please, this is what I this is what I want. This is what Vijay wants. If you're the creator, you can make this happen. And I'm still a little bit of Ilia and I want you as well back. We can be together as one. We can all be one big entity now. And when Decker looked at Kirk, he's like, it was one last little middle finger. He's like, as much you wanted the enterprise, well, I want this. Yeah. And that's when Kirk realized he's like I, I I can't say anything. Like I I don't I have nowhere to go on this. Oh, I no. loved it. I, I thought it was amazing.
0: I thought it was very earned. And, you know, uh, something like that in the movie sometimes doesn't work because you're like, oh, did that person really earn the, you know, that moment, you know, or did that yeah, character really uh, get oh, that? So earned it. Yeah, but he did. And it, it's the perfect ending for that. Plus, it also accomplishes what our biggest problem is to try to make Star Trek movies is how do you get the Admiral back on the boat, mm-hmm. you know, on the ship, you know, yeah. I mean, and not in a command position where he's at a desk job and all that. How do you get him well, back in the game? Well, well get this. He, yeah,
1: you know, yeah, he won't be captain. He won't be captain again until the end, end. of star Trek IV. Yeah, like, like, and, go and, four. Yeah. we Four films where he's still an admiral. And
0: which is wild
1: because I had not thought of that until at
0: the end of this, I was like, no, wait a minute, he doesn't get relegated back to Captain for a while. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. So even doing this wasn't enough to get him bumped back down in rank. He didn't get mavericked uh, and held in no, he spot. Didn't. Yeah, they, yeah, they let him move on up. But I, I did I did like the ending and I liked the way that it it resolved out. And then when we got the group together and they you know, they take off into space. Mm-hmm. And so as we get to the, the last part of our discussion here, we'll call it final frontiers, just legacy and impact of this. Cause obviously it started the, I mean, it was a big success. So they were going to make a lot of the movies and stuff, but I think it's neat that this one that you told me, this one has gotten reevaluated the way movies do sometimes after they've had mm-hmm. a little time to to sit and and mellow and people, I think people get it more nowadays than they did back then.
1: I agree. So this is, for those who don't know I am a museum director I have a background I have a degree in history so I'm going to make a history analogy here with star trek 1 in history everybody loves world war 2 and you find world war 2 buffs everywhere uh I've done programs of world war 2 at my museum and we get good audience world war 1 can't draw flies hmm. can't draw flies nobody cares star trek 1 is to the Star Trek universe much like World War I is the history. Yeah, World War I is like, eh, whatever, that was, eh, who cares? Well, World War I introduced chemical warfare, tanks and planes were used for the first time, it was the end of colonialism and imperialism, it was the end of the Tsars and the rise of the Soviet Union, I mean, it set the tone for the entire planet after that war. Everything that happened in that war set the tone for how wars would be carried out Forever. End of horse drawn cavalry, stuff like that. Star Trek 1, while maybe not as exciting as Star Trek 2 or Star Trek 4, it gave us the theme music to next gen. It gave us what bridges on starships are going to look like going forward. It brought the crew back together. It reunited like, hey, this is what exploration is about. We basically brought back, hey, this is science fiction not science epic not battles we're bringing back science fiction and it set the tone not just for other star trek films but other science fiction films going forward it kind of set this tone for a lot going forward i think it, a lot of people it took a, many years and people started realizing oh you know what That actually now that i watch it again i get it i see why it was so important um one thing i will point out if you haven't seen it on amazon they have the remastered version with new they've they've cut some they've edited some scenes they've cut some scenes back and they've added some new special effects to the film which makes it in my opinion even better um the attacks from v'ger are even more dynamic uh it shows you just how powerful v'ger really is and um so i i think that the While it does get a bad rap, and even if you still rank all 13 films, it's probably not going to be in anybody's top half, and it's not because it's bad. It's because some of the other films are better, but they wouldn't be good had it not been for this one getting out and getting out the gate and setting the tone for a lot that would be set forward in the Star Trek universe going up, continuing.
0: Nate, I'm so glad you used that that comparison about World War One and World War Two and and the way people view history because I'm I'm one of the nerds that is way more interested in World War One because oh, yeah, the same. stories are so much more harrowing and I'll tell people all the time they talk about oh favorite war films being something like Saving Private Ryan or you know mm-hmm. even Dunkirk something a little newer whatever and I'll tell every one of them. Like, you need to go back and watch Paths of Glory with the Kirk Douglas, and you'll get a real sense for what it was like in Europe, which is where really that war. Like, our understanding of World War I is very limited as Americans, because we were only in it for a very short time. Right. We kind of came in at the end, you know. Yeah. But if you really want to know what it was like for those cultures, that's a great way to get it. Uh, all Quiet on the Western Front, which I, I know oh, got yeah. remade. Oh. That's an incredible oh. Both versions of that, and that story. But yeah, I, I'm with you there. And, and being more of a music guy, too, I liken this to the way it used to be with bands where the first album isn't great. It's not the classic one, but there's the seeds of what that band's going to become that you love down the line. And I'll, I'll use like Pink Floyd as a good example, because I think they fit well with with Star Trek. If you listen to early Pink Floyd and you like it, you are a diehard Pink Floyd. Fan. All right, and, and I yeah. count myself into someone who will revisit those. But it took till about the Metal record where they really figured out how to write songs and do things. And then after that, man, it was boom, boom, boom. You know, four or five in a row that are just classics, right? But I, I and every one in Dark Side and Animals and you know the Wall and all of those those Wish You Were Here all those those albums the seeds of them are in the early records, saucer full yeah. of secrets and stuff like that. And I think if you listen to that, you you feel it very, and very much like you watch this movie. I had forgotten how many things are dropped and said and done here. that I'm like, that's in part three. That's in part five. That's I'm like sitting there picking mm-hmm. it up just as a movie guy going, wow, they really did lay the foundation here.
1: And also the same could be said for the star Trek TV series, the first season mm-hmm. of literally every star Trek series, except for maybe the original series been terrible the first the first series of next gen awful mm-hmm. the first series of discovery probably one of the worst series uh, seasons of television i've ever seen um the first season of deep space nine that didn't get going until the end of season two, mm-hmm. uh, first season of voyage. I mean, they were, when you get through this, I, I kind of feel seasons, like
0: the, the whole episode show of enterprise when it finally got good, they can't. Oh
1: yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. that's true. I would say season three, they're like, all right, we're figuring this out. And then season four was their last season. It's like, ah, just when it was getting good. No, yeah. it really is all the TV series. You've got to think if you can get enough interest to get past that first movie or past that first season, you're going to, it's going to last. It's going to get better. Usually it gets better. Um, I would argue that Picard season two is worse than Picard season one, but Picard season three basically says, we're sorry we did one and two. (laughs) Here's our, our heartfelt apology to all Star Trek fans. We're going to give you what you wanted and you're going to cry. It's going to be so amazing.
0: Right. And that's, and I feel like this movie is that foundational piece Mm -hmm. for this entire cinematic universe. So we usually wrap things up with popcorn ratings and stuff here. So I don't really want to do that on on this series though, because I feel like we're doing this because we like these movies. So we're probably going to rate them all pretty high anyway. So what's, what's the point? But I I do think it's neat to to wrap here as we, we get into the end of just all the things that we're going to hang on to going forward from here. We know they're going to change the uniforms up. They're going to change the look up. The next three movies are really a trilogy together mm-hmm. and they weren't built that way. They wasn't conceived that way. It just no. worked out because of lots of things that we'll talk about, but the next movie is going to be a very different turn in this, but I've already watched it before. You know, We're going to do an episode on it. And I feel like I know that movie as well as I know any movie from that <laughs> era, you know, because how can you not? Right. But there's, I watched it right after watching this one and I thought, you know, everybody talks about how plotting the first movie is, but the second one doesn't take that much time, but they spend some real time world building and setting things up and not oh, taking yeah. for granted that anybody knew what that episode was that it's built out of, you know, and I, right. and I'm like, you know, I think we're going to see this going forward. Cause I know again, some of these movies going forward is that star Trek is a, is not a series of movies, at least until they get into the modern iterations of them that are going to be about speed. They're going to be about yeah. distance. It's like, it's a distance between NASCAR and Lamont, you know? Yeah. 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 It's you're, you're both trying to do 200 miles an hour. One's for 24 hours, <laughs> one's mm. for about three. So it's just a different in in the uh, approach. And I, I found it refreshing to go back and see this one again. So my final thoughts are definitely, I, uh, if you haven't watched this recently, folks, you you deserve, uh, give it a chance; it deserves, and give it a revisit. It's definitely worth it. Now, what are your final thoughts on Star Trek: The Motion Picture?
1: I echo that sentiment completely. I mean, it, go back and watch it. Go back and watch. If you want, uh, go back and watch the one, the remastered one with the with some of the edits and the better effects. It really is. I think it is aged extremely well. It, it does set the tone for everything else going forward put it in its place, you know, recognize its contributions to the Star Trek universe and even other science fiction films after that. I love it. Uh, It was the first film I ever saw in the theater. I will always remember that. Um, And I love my dad's telling of what it was like when I was there. And so that, and also that was the movie that for me personally set my life was like, Star Trek is my life. And it started at three years old and it was that film. And one of the good things I will say going forward with the rest of the films is I have seen these Star Trek films so many times. I basically know every scene in my head. I could probably do most of these word for word if, if asked. I love these films. This is going to be fun to talk about. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next one that's coming up. Oh, I am as well.
0: And really excited as we get deeper into the star Trek cinematic universe, Nate, thanks again for coming on, being a part of this show and folks, thanks for joining us and listening on our first leg of this journey. You can follow the show's social media at Filmstrip pod. And of course, subscribe to the show. If you go to filmstrippodcast.com, that'll take you to all the distribution sites, but we're wherever podcasts are found, share the show on your social media and Hey, ping us back. Let us know what you think of it. If you use Spotify, which I'm a big Spotify user for podcasts, there's a little thing on every episode what'd you think of it if you've got a thought about it you know ping us on x or instagram or facebook or you can leave that that uh comment there and we'll be glad to to interact with y'all as we go further and further into the universe that is the star trek universe so until next time for nate i'm jay thanks for listening to film strip thank you for listening to film